another episode of Two Guys and a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. I'm Craig. And today we picked uh, what must be a childhood favorite of yours, right, Craig? Yeah. Uh, troll. <laughs> <laughs> the nostalgia was just oozing from you as we watched this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, we picked it for its great cinematic quality. Well, that too, right? Right? <laughs> yeah, no, this is a movie that, um, gosh, I don't even know how we came, how we got it. Uh, when when I was a kid, we had HBO, which was like a big luxury back in those days, and uh, my dad would always tape movies to keep for us. And this one, I assume, got taped off there. I'm sure he didn't illegally dub it or anything like that. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was a VHS tape with this first and the Goonies right after. And this was like the double feature of my childhood. Are you, you know? serious? Oh my gosh. I, I, can't, <laughs> I still have that VHS tape somewhere. I can't believe I didn't like totally run it dry because I watched this so many times. And I love this movie. <laughs> I'm not going to be mad at you. I feel Full like disclosure. Yeah, I feel like I feel like we owe it to our listeners to be honest. So, uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm going to try to stay your friend if you have negative things to say about this. But I'm I'm just saying straight up, I love this movie. Now you have a sister, and and was she as fond of this movie as you were? No, <laughs> really. She would watch it with me from time to time, but I think mostly because I would force her. <laughs> it's one of the perks of being. Being the big brother, you kind of kind of got the muscle. So she had to sit through this in order to get to the Goonies. Oh was that yeah, what it was? yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> and we, oh gosh, I watched it all the time, and it's so funny because we put it. I, I've been looking forward to to watching this with you and talking about it, and you put it in, and just, I mean, it all came back to me. I haven't seen it in in so long. I mean. I've probably seen it a hundred times or more, but it's been years. And as soon as the uh, the opening credits came up and the score started playing, I was just in heaven. I was just smiling from ear to ear. It was such a, a nostalgic thing. So it, you're saying it's fallen out of your regular rotation. <laughs> it has, kind of, unfortunately. You know, when we were talking about doing this, you asked me if I had it, and I kind of... <laughs> thought, no, I don't. I can't I, believe I don't. I was surprised. I thought you had the DVD. No, I, I, I uh, got on Amazon and uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to order it. I, I've got to have it, but I didn't I didn't have it for us. Now, wait a second, but you've got the VHS tape. I do have the VHS. Wouldn't I don't have a working VCR. <laughs> done us a lot of good today. Right. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's there in an emergency, I suppose, if I could find a, a working VCR. Well, this is one of those movies that I remember seeing the cover when we were in the, right? I yeah. Mean, it's got that creepy looking cover with the troll and what looks like at least as a kid it looked like a shield in front of him right and you realize it's a ball right uh but my dad rented it i, I you know and he he and i would rent movies and watch them occasionally he wasn't as into horror as i was but he tried to indulge me a little bit and so he'd pick those ones out that sort of sounded interesting enough to him that he could sit through it. And some for some reason, this one must have jumped out at him. I don't know what he read on the back of the box cover or whatnot. And I remember sitting down, and I don't remember how old I was. Um, I wasn't in high school yet. You know, I was probably middle school, maybe late elementary, and thinking, this is the weirdest movie <laughs> I have seen to date. <laughs> it is kind of a weird movie, and I, I think that it's weird in that we don't really see movies like this anymore. We've, You and I have talked about this several times, but this is one of those movies who... I'm not sure what the target audience was that they were going for, yeah. but I think that it really is kind of targeted towards 
kids, like, you know, or prepubescent, early adolescent kind of kids. It's got, it's PG-13. There, there's not a lot of uh, graphic violence or gore or anything like that. There is some mild swearing, but it's just, the tone is something that you really just don't really see anymore. And I miss it. Because I I feel like we've, we've softened things up a lot for kids. And I don't have any kids. Maybe I'd feel different if I had kids. But if I did have a kid... This is one of those movies that I would just be waiting, waiting. Please get old enough so I can show you this movie because I would so want to share it. Now, I loved it so much as a kid. It it does have that tone. We've talked about that. The Gate has that tone. Yes, exactly. Um, One of the other films we watched recently. Well, The Hole has that tone. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it has that tone where you're not sure of the audience. It seems aimed at a younger crowd, yet you see things in here that you don't necessarily see anymore in kids' movies. You see some pretty gruesome makeup. Yeah. And it's not bloody gruesome, but it's people transforming. Uh, It's a little bit out of Thriller. It's a little bit out of Ghoulies and some harder horror films. In fact, I think the director of this was primarily started out as a special effects artist. Oh, that makes sense. uh, For Roger Corman. And I know that he went on and he did Ghoulies, Ghoulies 2, all those kinds of films. In fact, I think he went and did... I don't know. Did you ever see the Garbage Pail Kids movie? Yeah. Oh my word! Uh, yeah, he did the makeup for that, and you can you can tell, you yeah. know, the animatronics and everything. It's almost like a signature look. I wouldn't be surprised if he hadn't reused some of the puppets. I he did. Did he? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. They look very familiar. <laughs> at, le- at least one of them I know. I, I read this online. I, I don't know if he directed, but there was uh, another movie called Dungeon Master, and uh, the the main character in this. This movie, whose name happens to be Harry Potter. Harry Potter, yeah. Right? And he's got a, a poster for Dungeon Master on his wall. He's like a, a horror buff kid, a young... Well, he's probably like 14. 14, yeah, like probably. That. Young high um, school. Yeah, and, and he's got a Dungeon Master and I, I re- poster, and I read that one of the puppets from this movie was actually recycled uh, from that movie. I don't recall having seen Dungeon Master, but the premise of the story is, it, it's a really simple story. Yeah. I mean, there's there's not a whole lot to it. This family, um, Harry Potter Sr., his wife, Anne, and their two kids, uh, Harry Potter Jr. and uh, Wendy, the little sister, younger sister, are moving into this new building. We don't know why. They're just, they're moving into this new apartment building. And as soon as they get there, they start unpacking their stuff. And the mom says, Wendy, you don't have to help us. Why don't you run off and play? And so she goes around, kind of looking around the building, and the first place that she comes to is this cellar. And she's got this bouncing ball with her that you had already referenced. It's on the cover of the jacket. And she's bouncing it, and she's just kind of saying nursery rhymes and stuff. And it bounces down into the cellar. It looks kind of like maybe like a laundry room or or something like that. Like a shared laundry room for the apartment building. Right, right. And uh, she's reluctant to go down into the spooky basement in the new building, but she does. And uh, then she's starting to play down there. And we kind of get these point of view shots from somewhere else uh, in the room. And she's looking around. She's not seeing anything. But then as she's bouncing her ball, we hear this kind of grunting, kind of heavy breathing kind of sound as the point of view shot approaches her. And you can kind of see kind of a weird shadow on the wall behind her. And this monstrous hand reaches out and grabs her. And she gasps. And uh, that's all we see. We cut back to the family at the, at the front of the house where the mom says, go find your sister. Harry goes to find her and he goes down. Um, he, he goes to where the basement is. And he's looking down there. He's calling for her. He sees her ball down there, but she's not answering. So uh, he starts to go down. 
and we see the troll, you know, holding the ball like, and, and saying the same nursery rhyme that the little girl was saying. And when he hears the brother, when the troll hears the brother coming, he kind of looks up and he goes and hides like behind or in between a washer and a dryer. And right before Harry comes in, he the troll is wearing this ring and he holds it up and it kind of lights up and he transforms magically into the girl. And that's where we set the story off. From this point on, we don't know what's happened to Wendy, but we know that the girl that looks like Wendy now is not. It's actually this troll, and that's where everything kind of picks up. Yeah, and, and in the movies, this these kind of low-budget films, this is usually the point where they are saving a ton of money, right? Yeah. Uh, there's this great creature effect in the beginning, and then the creature possesses somebody or transforms into somebody, and then we never see see that creature again until the end of the movie and you know it's just that person who's transformed but this movie is not that movie no we see lots of effects we see lots of creatures so it's it's kind of nice the the fact that it, it didn't become that film right you know? there's a little bit more money in it I right. guess yeah a little bit I mean I, I don't have any idea what their actual budget was but I know that it was pretty low you know they had some ambitions for some things I'll talk about here in a little bit that they weren't able to accomplish but so what happens is the family is all gathered together and the dad has gone out to get lunch and he calls the food rat burgers i guess he's just talking about fast food burgers but he brings it in and they all sit down to eat and uh wendy or the troll in wendy's form opens up the burger and it's gross it's all like lettuce and tomato and slimy and gross and she's like what's this what's this and um they're like just eat it and so she's the works right it's the works right (laughs) and so she starts to eat it but she starts to eat it like a troll would eat like a like a dog would eat or something i mean she's just like mashing her face in it and grunting and what a pig harry have you been letting her read your monster magazines more work more works what more work now hey bring back those rat burgers and then she goes nuts. It's like she wants more of it, and she's running around the house, and the, the fire alarm goes off. Yeah, she runs out in the hall, and Did she trip it? I don't know, I guess. Okay. She did, or somebody did, I have no idea. But the fire alarm goes off, which gives us a good opportunity to meet everybody else in the building, because everybody else in the building comes running down. That was a really interesting... Uh piece of writing, I thought. Uh, you know, you could go from apartment to apartment and gradually meet people and have these weird things. Or you do some event like a fire alarm and everybody rushes out of their apartment at once and sort of bangs into each other and you have these humorous interactions, essentially, yeah. between everybody. That that was neat. I, I really enjoyed that. You've got uh, a number of people and some famous people yeah. here. Uh, really interesting. First of all, I believe the first guy who pops out is Sonny Bono. Sonny Bono. Who's uh-huh. like a swinger guy. Yeah, it's like, but, he seems like a like a 70s swinger type uh, <laughs> late in his years past his prime uh-huh and then uh, the next person who kind of runs in is his name was duke is uh-huh. that right yeah and yeah. he was uh, sort of an ex-marine person right he was a bit tough and and he's chatting with them and then coming down the stairs cursing and swearing is june lockhart right <laughs> and which was funny because it was so out of character from the beaver's mom you know that yeah. we normally know her as i think the first thing out of her mo- out of her mouth is What's it, who pulled the goddamn fire yeah. alarm yeah. it's like, like whoa right 
And she's this older woman, and she's dressed in kind of a long, kind of older-fashioned uh, dress, and she's got her hair all up. I love her in this movie. I mean, if, she is great. If there's a, you know, if if anybody wants to be critical of this movie, I will say that if nothing else, June Lockhart is uh, the saving grace for this film. She's she's funny. Uh, her acting is good. I just really like her. But yeah, so there's her. Um, the guy that plays the dad we didn't mention before, I think his name is uh, Michael Moriarty, is that right? Yes. And he's really pretty famous. I mean, he's he's continued to work. I mean, you would definitely recognize him. Did you recognize him for anything specific? You know, not anything specific, but yeah, he had that face that I'd seen before. Yeah, I, I'm kind what of... What else been in? I'm not... You know, I, I, I just glanced at IMDb and I don't remember, but um, he's still working. I mean, he's, he's still working regularly. The mom is played by Shelley Hack, who again is really recognizable, but I couldn't really put two and two together. Yeah. And I, I looked her up and she's done quite a bit of work. What she kind of got her big break in was when one of the original Charlie's Angels left, she was the replacement. Oh, of course. She mm-hmm. has that look. Yeah. And, and she has that look in this movie. Yeah. Right? She's very pretty. And I, I guess she was only on Charlie's Angels for a, a season before she was replaced too. But uh, again, you know, these may not be A-list actors, but um, people that you'll recognize. And then after we meet June Lockhart, then the next people who come down are a very young and fresh-faced looking Julia Louis-Dreyfus and the guy that plays her boyfriend, and I can't remember what the actor's name is. I don't know. This was Julia Louis-Dreyfus's first movie ever, her first film appearance. Wow. Um, and the guy that plays her boyfriend, and obviously in the movie they play boyfriend-girlfriend, in real life they were dating at the, at the time, and shortly after the film was made they got married, and they're still married. Oh, really? Yeah. So, did they meet on the set? I don't know. It just said, I just read that they were dating. They were actually in a relationship. That's interesting. And they live upstairs, and, you know... They're kind of the young, modern 80s couple. Yeah. It's like they go jogging a lot, and their apartment looks pretty modern for the time and all that. I think she's like a waitress, an aspiring actress. She says at one point that she's got an audition that day. So they come down, and it's funny. (laughs) This is, I'm sure, the first thing that I knew Julia Louis-Dreyfus from. This is from 1986, uh, and obviously she's gone on to be very famous. She's, I think she comes from a wealthy family. She's one of the most, she's one of the richest women in the world. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. From what I, from what I've heard. Oh, man. Um, but she does not look back on this movie fondly. <laughs> I guess uh, I guess uh, a few years ago when Jay Leno still had his show, he had her on and he surprised her by running a loop of one of her scenes in this movie, <laughs> and uh, she wasn't amused. <laughs> well, she can't be disgusted by her acting because her acting was great. Yeah, it was fine. It's just a goofy movie, it is. and she ends up in kind of a goofy role in it. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we meet all those people, and then what happens is right away. I guess they they sleep there one night and then well, first of all Harry start Harry notices right away that there's something off about Wendy. I mean they all do but the parents are attributing it to the move. You know, she's just stressed out and so she's acting out. Harry's a little bit more skeptical. He thinks there's something strange going on. But very first thing the next morning, Wendy gets out of bed and gets dressed and says hello to her family, but then she immediately goes upstairs to Sonny Bono's apartment. Sonny Bono had just been entertaining this lady. <laughs> Overnight. <laughs> right. Was she supposed to be a prostitute? Or a I le- couldn't tell. I, she kind of looked like a prostitute. She did, but maybe she was just supposed to be one of his swinger friends. I don't yeah. know. She wasn't very amused by him either. No, no. <laughs> so Wendy goes up um, into... Uh, Sonny Bono. I don't know what his name was. Uh, uh, Mr. Dickinson. Mr. Dickinson, that's She right. goes up to Sonny Bono's uh, apartment. 
and uh, his apartment. It's so funny. He's got like lava lamps, and it's got those uh, the stoplight that as. I don't know, there must be a speaker or something, or a microphone or something in the room, so every time they talk, the stoplight kind of goes <laughs> right. and, and flashes. There's probably a mirror ball up yeah, above, and he's absolutely. got a crazy bar. It's a total bachelor's pad. Right, and he's wearing, like, the Hugh Hefner, like, red silk robe, and <laughs> he's just super smarmy and mean. He's not a nice guy, but uh, Wendy knocks on the door, he opens it, she just comes right in and makes herself at home, and um, he's annoyed with her and, and makes it clear that he has no interest in her being there or playing with her or anything but she runs and hides behind the bar or something and he's mad he's like I don't play hide and seek and he goes and he looks behind the bar and she's gone yep and then she pops up behind the couch and she's laughing like she's teasing him uh, and she pops back down behind the couch and he runs and jumps and looks over and she's gone again so he sits back down on the couch he's kind of confused and from right there behind the couch again she pops up she pops back down he says I got you now and he reaches over and it's Korok the troll. She's um, changed. Again. She's changed, right? Yeah. So we get to see the troll, and and Sunny gets to see the troll, <laughs> and uh, the troll. You can't really say he chases him around because no. the actor in the suit is is a little bit limited in his his movement. It's a great suit. I love it. it I is. love the look of the it's troll. It's actually very impressive. Yeah. Um, but uh, so anyway, she pulls up her ring that she's got this big green ring, and like a little like needle or something kind of pops out of it, and she pokes him with it, and then. And he starts to go into this transformation, and that's what you were talking about. The, yeah. the transformation really is fairly gruesome. It is. It, it reminded me of the Toxic Avenger a little bit, but 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 way more, a little bit better budget, a little bit more skillful. Yeah. But yeah, he's kind of popping out. His skin is bulging. I watched this with my wife maybe a year ago or so on a whim, just because it was PG-13. Uh-huh. It was a horror movie she could watch right. with me, and I remembered, oh, it wasn't too bad. And she, uh, she kind of averted her eyes here and wondered what she was getting into. Yeah, um, it gets a little gross. I mean, he, he bloats and sweats his skin kind of starts to turn black like black ooze starts to come out of his mouth and the transformation goes on for a while I mean we don't get a solid shot of the whole thing happening and I'm sure that's budgetary I'm sure it's based on the effects that they had available to them so it'll cut away to the troll and then it'll go back and he will progress a little more and then it'll cut away and then it'll go back and he's progressed more and eventually he transforms into what my sister used to call a big turd Um, (laughs) but uh uh, it's apparently like, it's a, like a pod, like a pod, or like a cocoon, or, yeah. or something. And it splits open, and all of these like vines and greenery start coming out. And again, the effects are limited, but you get the effect of yeah, what's going on. They're acceptable, you yeah. know, they really are. Uh, it's moving around. It's a stop motion type thing, right. and it's filling the apartment, basically turning the apartment into a little forest. Right. And that was the part where my dad and I know we're just like, what in the world is this movie? And of course, popping out also are a number of these little creatures. Right. Right. Yeah, and these little, and they're little grotesque creatures. They're cl- clearly puppets, but they're good ones. And, yeah. you know, they're scary looking. They're small. They're they're kind of slimy and shiny. Drooling, and there's mucus coming out of their noses. And right. one of them's like a crab type. Yeah. Uh, it's almost, it's like a centaur, but instead of a horse's body, it, it's. It has like a spider's yeah. body. It's weird. Yeah, and they're. Di- I mean, they all look different. They uh, one kind of has like a pig snout, and mm-hmm. one of them is very reminiscent of uh, the main ghoulie, which would yes. make sense. Yeah. Um, there was one that I thought looked a lot like Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> there was one of them that looked like that pig. The pig one reminded me of. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, yeah. the pig uh, guy. Bebop, Bebop or yeah, something one of those, like that. One of those guys. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> and so then Wendy goes back to her family, and pretty much that is what continues to happen. Mm-hmm. She continues to visit the the other people that we've met in the building, and continues to kind of toy with them a little bit first. You know, it's it's pretty innocent. I mean, she just seems like a precocious young girl. Yeah. Um, but then she she reveals who she is and, and she transforms them. And her interaction with her brother is very interesting. And I don't know why. I guess it's because it's a safe place for her. It's She waits for that family's apartment to be the last to go. I guess it's because it's where she can retreat to, have her home base. But because the brother is on to her, she's essentially intimidating him throughout this process. They go to the fridge, and uh, she turns around and basically throws him across the room with a strength that she shouldn't have. Yet when the parents call after them, what was that? Are you okay? Mm -hmm. He immediately makes up an excuse. Oh, I just tripped. I just fell. It's no problem. He doesn't go running to his parents to really alarm them about the girl. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. I... I don't know if it's because he's uncertain of what's going on and he wants to kind of try to figure it out. If he doesn't think that they'll believe him, mm. I, mean, I don't know. It's almost like he wanted to keep a little extra watch on her. Yeah. Maybe, like you said, figure it out a little bit more before he raises the alarm bells. Like, there's something weird about her, but he's not sure what. Right. And I might be that night, or it's a later time, and I think it was a later time, when he goes up to bed and he pulls out his television from underneath his his bed and is sitting there watching a sci-fi movie, horror movie, and it's a goofball sci-fi horror movie, but it's the pod people. (laughs) And it seems to implant this idea in his head that maybe his sister is one of the pod people or she's been invaded. Right. Uh, She's not who she seems she is. She's a pod person from Mars. He keeps seeing, you know, this, we keep seeing these clips from this movie and that isn't Spot, our pet, Nancy. That's something that looks like Spot acts like spot even smells like spot but in reality it's a martian you mean yes our dog is a pod person from the planet mars to the screen right (laughs) (laughs) it's great so eventually yeah he gets that idea in his mind but but even before that just to try to get away from her because she is i mean she's toying with him yeah um she knows that he's on to her and she's not early on she doesn't reveal her true form yes but she doesn't hide the fact that she's different and that she can take him down if if she needs to so at one point i think just to kind of get away from her he goes upstairs to Eunice's house. Uh, <clears throat> Eunice St. Clair is her name, and that's June... What was her name? June Lockhart. June Lockhart. Right. So he goes up to her house, and, or her apartment, and he knocks on the door, and um, she's... How would you describe her personality? Oh, my goodness. She is a older woman, a little prim and proper, except for the swearing. You know, there's a, like a slight sense of Pollyanna's mother in her. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. She has, she dresses like that, got that Victorian air mm-hmm. about her. Her apartment is totally decked out in a Victorian type stuff mixed with some medieval things. Yeah. It's an odd eclectic. Like swords and spears and, you know, uh, really old paintings and it, it's cool stuff. It's like nerdy old lady from the Middle Ages or something. <laughs> she, but she's, like, like she could be a D&D master if she was, if she had been, you know, 12 or right. 15 in this movie. But she's got this air about her, uh, this air of confidence, this air of she's no nonsense. Oh yeah. She seems like a tough old broad who, who can take care of herself. 
he asks if he can come in because he said he feels like he's going to be sick. Uh, and she lets him in. She's kind of quipping with him back and forth. And while he's in the bathroom, she's sitting at an easel painting. And next to her, there's this large mushroom, mushroom <laughs> <laughs> with a face that like is it's a, a puppet it's and cute it is cute and it's it's kind of moving around and making little squeaky noises like it's talking and so we know that there's something about her too yeah you know all, all of this weird supernatural stuff either she's involved or somehow she's connected um <clears throat> but when he comes out of the bathroom she puts a lampshade on the <laughs> on the mushroom which i always love which is cute because it's like the mushroom's been through this road before <laughs> it, it just like stiffens up okay i'm I'm ready. Right, Drop right. Shade on me. Well, did you pop your cookies? No. False alarm. Well, then there's no reason for you to stay around here any longer, is there? Oh, I don't want to go right now. If it's okay with you. Doesn't make any difference to me at all. I'll just pretend you're not here. Thanks. I feel safe here. You're sounding like a ninny. What the hell have you got to be afraid of? I don't know. <laughs> Keep talking like that, you'll become an adult. She's a cool old lady, and she obviously realizes that he is, in fact, scared. Mm-hmm. And we get the impression that she may be aware that maybe there is something to be afraid of. So she tells him, you can come over anytime. Uh, just knock before you come in, the door is always open. And so they establish a connection, yes. a friendship. This is kind of a place where he can go to to talk and and feel safe. Um, and I feel like, in a way, she respects his attitude. Yeah. Kind of his way of dealing with it. That he is taking his time. He's unsure. I feel like that might be part of the meaning of that line and why it was so significantly called out in the film. He's a little more adult than a kid his age would be. And that might explain why he deals with it the way he does deal with it. Right, and why she... <laughs> eventually... She she tells the whole story. I mean, first, um, Wendy continues to go from house to house. Uh, I think the second apartment that she visits is Duke. That's the guy who lives right across from them. He's the yep. army guy. His apartment is all decked out in, like, a tiger skin and <laughs> just over cra- the top. crazy macho stuff, like guns on the walls and stuff. He's got a pool table in there. Right, right. Um, and he's... One of the interesting things about this movie to me is that the people who are kind of... This guy, Duke, doesn't seem so bad. I mean, he's kind of nice, but he's also really conceited and Mm. um, really macho, and, like, he's really concerned with his looks and stuff. Um, So the people who are kind of, for lack of a better word, ugly on the inside, when they transform, that's kind of reflected in what comes out of Mm. their pods. That's true. Um, So when he uh, is transformed, it's it's very similar to the first time around. It's these kind of grotesque, goblin-y looking puppets. But then I think the third person that she goes to is Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Yeah. And Julia Louis-Dreyfus is nice to her. She invites her in, says, you know, I've got stuff to do, but you're welcome to hang out. I, I could get you a drink or whatever. And This is my husband. Right. There's another cute moment in there where she's she almost admires, uh, the girl almost admires, the girl slash troll almost mm-hmm. admires her, and she's just staring at her. She says, you're, and and uh, she's like, you're so pretty. And says, oh, thank you. And she says, uh, what does she say? Beauty fades with age. Right, right. She, she... <laughs> 
she compliments her as soon as she comes in and tells her she's very pretty. And then um, Wendy grabs a picture and it's a photograph of the boyfriend. And, and she says, that's my boyfriend. But then tucked in the corner of the frame is also a picture, I guess. I didn't really get a good look at it. Of her as a, as a younger As her girl. as a young girl. And she says, "Is that Wendy says, is this you when you were younger? And she says, yeah, that was me. And she says, you were very beautiful. And <laughs> Julia Louis-Dreyfus says, well, thanks, I guess. Uh, <laughs> right. And then you get that beauty fades with age thing. And we know that she is going to be transformed. And eventually we see what she's transformed into. And she's transformed into not a very different version of herself at all. No. She's just uh, like a wood nymph, yeah. I, I guess. I mean, it's, it's still Julia Louis-Dreyfus playing the character, but she's partially nude, um, kind of draped in greenery and things. Mm-hmm. And really, is her appearance her, doesn't change at all. But her personality. Her personality has, changes. Yeah. Yeah. And she's kind of playful and ch- ch- chirping and, and, and teasing. A little teasing, flirtatious, kind of. Yeah, so the, when her boyfriend comes back in to check on her eventually, the apartment has, like all of these apartments, I guess, mm-hmm. has become almost another dimension where he can wander through the woods and he chases her mm-hmm. through the woods and she's coyly teasing him and running along and he's chasing her like, what in the world is going on? I liked that bit. And again, I don't think she has, except for the fact that the film is really goofy, Yeah, uh, she doesn't have anything to, to be concerned about as far as her acting no. or any or the I way actually, she looks. Right. She, oh, she looks great. I mean, yeah. she looks gorgeous. And I actually thought her acting was good. Oh, I mean, yeah. when, when it was... When she was just herself, it was very natural, um, and, 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 you know, her character was likable, and then when she turned into the wood nymph or whatever, her affect really changed, um, and, and she's kind of toying around with the boyfriend and kind of giving him sly, flirtatious looks and running away from him, um, a lot of laughing and stuff, and eventually she leads him deep into that forest, wherever it is, and she leads him to the troll who then presumably transforms him. We yeah. don't really see his no, we transformation. Didn't now, earlier, kind of concurrent with all this happening, right. there's a relationship between Wendy and a man who saves her from a car. She's kind of running out into the street, and he reaches out and grabs her and pulls her away. And it turns out that this man is uh, is a short... It's, he's a, he's um, a little person. He's a little person. And uh, she is taken by this, and she stares at him and says, Are you an elf? No, uh, I just resemble one. Why, do you believe in elves? Oh, yes. Oh, well, then perhaps I might be one after all. Where do you live? In there. Well, so do I. What's your name? Wendy Ann. Malcolm Mowry. Glad to meet you, Wendy Ann. Well, come along. Your parents are probably wondering where you are. Yes, Brother Elf. Um, this actor, I've re- I recognize him from stuff. He has a really distinctive voice. He's a very small little person. His name is Phil uh, Fondacaro. And not only does he play Malcolm, the, the professor from upstairs, but he also plays Torok. Yes. Um, oh, okay. Uh, the, the, the troll. He plays the troll. The part was written specifically with him in mind, but uh, the production company, I guess, put a lot of pressure on the director to cast Billy Barty, um, who is, you know, one of the more famous little people actors in the industry. But the director really fought for for this Phil Fondacaro and got him. And I'm glad because... Again, he's another one of my favorite parts of this movie. He's nice to her, to, to Wendy. Um, he's just a nice guy. He's a, you know, he's a, an English professor, uh, so he's he's really smart. Everybody else in the building is kind of anti-intellectual. Yeah. <clears throat> 
Um, and, and he's, you know, a professor and, and a cool guy. So I guess he takes her inside and she goes home and she tells her parents, I made a little friend. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and I invited him to dinner. Yeah. And they say, okay. So they're expecting her little friend to come to dinner. And he shows up. <laughs> like, Knocks on the door. Uh, oh, is it your little friend here? Just as they're opening the door and right. they look down. Oh, boy. And what ensues is this very awkward comic scene where she's come out with a glass of chocolate milk for him. And oh, and he's standing there and he's brought like some champagne yeah. or whatever. <laughs> and he asks for, uh, you know, I'd rather have a gin and tonic. <laughs> yeah, he says, don't worry, I brought a note from my mom. <laughs> and, and they kind of acknowledge that, but he's so, he takes it all in stride. Yeah. Uh, like, oh, this has happened to me before, it's okay. Right. He doesn't, there's none of that conflict in this movie at all, really. Mm-mm. Even with the jerky guy downstairs, even with the brutish marine across the way. There isn't a lot of serious person-to-person conflict. No. You know? And actually, I always thought that was interesting, even when I was a kid. We don't meet Malcolm until he rescues Wendy from getting hit by the car. But when everybody had converged in the hallway during the fire alarm, I think it was Julie Louis-Dreyfus' character, had said, and then there's a professor that lives upstairs. His name is Malcolm. But she never said anything about him being a little person. Yeah. Like, that was just something they didn't even consider. Yeah. Um, and when, when he shows up... It's not that the parents are rude. It's just that they're taken aback. You know, they're they're surprised. They didn't see. They didn't expect this. They weren't prepared, and they don't know how to deal with it. Right, right. <laughs> and he, I think, you know, kind of makes them comfortable. He kind of jokes around and, and doesn't make a big deal out of it. And eventually, they sit down to have a nice dinner. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then uh, at the dinner, she, of course, you can tell that Wendy is totally taken with him, loves yes. him to death. And they've had some conversation before, and him being an English professor, at some point she asks him to recite a poem, which is cute. You know, that never happens anymore, right. I'm sure. But, uh, and, and his, his poem's called The Fairy Princess. Or The Fairy Queen. The I Fairy think, Queen, right? you're right. And as he starts to recite this poem, and is this an actual. I believe it is. Okay, yeah. He starts to recite this poem, and we get a very interesting interlude where the poem starts getting recited and then we're flashing to the apartment upstairs where the witch is, where um, Eunice. Eunice is, and the apartments where the gob... Well, they're actually fairies, I guess, right. but mm-hmm. they look like goblins are. And music starts to come in and it's a whole musical sequence, essentially. Yeah. Oh, gosh, and I just love it so much. I know that it's corny and cheesy, but I love it. First of all, I love this score. I have no idea who is responsible for it, but I love everything about it. Um, there's some, At some points, there's kind of a light, kind of plinky-plunky, kind of fairyland stuff. And then when you get to the fairies, trolls, whatever you want to call them, it gets much darker. And there's scoring underneath a lot of the movie most of it is scored and i just think i mean i could i could buy that on cd and just listen to it i just love it um and the scene that you're talking about the bad fairies the gross looking fairies kind of start to sing this weird chant Mm -hmm. and it's called i'm gonna totally say it wrong but cantos profane or cantos profane something like that and it's just it doesn't really have words not intelligible words but they're chanting or singing together kind of you know in in tune in key even though it's their weird you know weird monster voices 
while Malcolm is reciting this poem, which of course is all about fairies and knights and all that kind of stuff, every time that it cuts to the bad fairies, you have that, you know, that, that kind of weird, scary music. But then every time it cuts back to Wendy watching Malcolm recite this, there's this really lovely, what would you even call it? I don't know. It's just like a, it, it's a melodic line that comes in. It's yeah. just really pretty. It's 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 interesting that they pull this off so well. I thought the scene was fantastic. And again, this is another thing that doesn't really happen in films, you know, today, where you insert a random musical number right. in a movie that doesn't really seem to call for it. Right. But it works really well and it's edited really well and it brings on this sense of urgency, mm-hmm. this sense of impending doom. But in the same sense, it conflicts with this beauty that you're hearing and this affection between her and Malcolm. It's a complicated, I think, emotional moment Yeah, when you're watching it. And the music does a lot to add to that. I just love it. I mean, I, I read that initially it was conceived as kind of like a production number. Oh, um, but be uh, singing and dancing with top Right, right. <laughs> well, I, I don't know what that means exactly. I, I, I guess it just means that there was probably supposed to be more animation in the in the puppets, but they yeah. were, you know, just... Uh, Didn't have the money. Right, right, right. But it's still a great scene. I love it. Wendy's parents seem to be oblivious to anything else going on besides the recitation of the poem, which they're enjoying very much. But Eunice upstairs seems to be aware of what's going on in the rest of the building. And she goes and grabs a horn off her wall, which has all kinds of weird stuff on it. And she blows into the horn, and it seems to upset the bad fairies, and it upsets Wendy. She, like, chokes. She chokes on her milk or something and starts coughing, and the sound of the horn causes the bad fairies to to stop. Um, So we see that Eunice has some power, and she does know what's going on, and it's, it's very soon after that that uh, Harry goes back to talk to her, and that's when he's been convinced that she's... A pod person from the planet Mars. That and Wendy is. Right. And and Eunice says, not quite, but close. And that's when she gives us the exposition story. And Harry calls her right out. I mean, he says, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. What is your role? Uh, you are not who you say you are. Right. And uh, she, he basically asks if she's a witch. And she's, yeah. yeah she just doesn't <laughs> deny it. It's so what of it? You're, You're a clever kid. And, mm-hmm. and he's like, oh, that's cool. He's just smiling. He knows that he's in safe hands with her, just instinctively. And she tells the story. And the story, I'm going to get it wrong, but it's basically that she had fallen in love with this guy, and he was a, he was a wizard, he was learning magic, and uh, this guy actually turned out to be Torak, right? Right. Yeah, it's like, but, she is, we presume, hundreds upon hundreds of years yeah. old. I mean, she, she talks about... Long, long ago in the in the time before... That's right. In the time before countries and presidents and all those things. It was just one big world. And it was fairies and humans. Right. She was the fairy princess, and uh, she was in love with this guy, and I guess he was also a fairy. But then there was a war of some kind between right. the fairies and the humans, and the fairies lost out. Right. Torak, they had, they initially, the two kingdoms had had an agreement that neither one of them would rule over the other. They would just share the, the world equally. But Torak was ambitious and he wanted to take over the world. So he rallied an army of fairies and there was a big battle, but they lost. And, uh, he was turned into a troll for, for all eternity. 
And then kind of banished, I guess. I guess. And that's that... where all the fairies are. That's where they're hiding. Right. And that part, you know, really is kind of plot holy. You know, yeah. it's never really explained why this is all happening now. She indicates that she's there to kind of... I guess she's waiting for this. Like, yeah. like she knows it's going to happen eventually, and it's just happening now. And she must know it's going to happen there, because that's where she's waiting. None of that's really explained. Right. There is an opening scene during the credits mm-hmm. where we're zooming into what appears to be a kind of cathedral or old-style church mm-hmm. or maybe castle. Was it a castle? Maybe. I, stained glass windows. I don't know. Yeah, and then the books and things, and it kind of pans out of that and through a forest. And then through the forest, and eventually, you know, after the credits go, we are emerging from the forest basically across the street from this apartment complex right. that they're in. I don't know if that was meant to actually imply that there was some proximity there between wherever Tor- Torak lived or bided his time and the actual apartment right. or not. I, I don't know either. Now Harry knows what's going on. And I... and she mentions that uh, she learned her magic from this guy named uh, Galwin. Uh-huh. And it turns out that that mushroom is Galwin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Harry asks, well, could you teach me to be a magician? Which is so ironic. You know, Harry Potter, you know, this this movie came out 11 years before um, any of the J.K. Rowling stuff came out. But there are so many similarities. It really makes you wonder if she hadn't seen this film at some point. I mean... Even if it was subconsciously. Yeah, it would be hard (laughs) to argue against that. Right. Um, but he, he said, can you make, could you teach me to be a magician? And she said, well, I could, but I don't think there's going to be time. And she explains that once this, once this is in process, he's got 72 hours to complete it. And at this point, um, I think everybody in the building has been transformed except for Eunice and the Potter's apartment. The Potter's, yeah. One of the things that we skipped was at some point, Wendy goes to visit Malcolm. Um, oh yes, and it's I, this is such a this nice is an scene, important isn't it? scene. Yeah, we should talk about it. Wendy goes to visit Malcolm at his house, and this is also kind of cute. This is a different era, obviously, where parents didn't mind their kids right. cavorting with adults and going to their apartments and whatnot. Uh, but she goes over to his house and his apartment and talks to him, and she's very interested in him. She's very interested in him, and she knows that he's sick. Yeah, she can tell. Malcolm, remember when I asked you if you were an elf? Uh-huh. Did you ever want to be? I did, actually. When I was about your age, in fact. Maybe a little older. Doctors talking to my parents about recessive genes. I thought they were talking about pants funny what you think about when you're a child. Just didn't understand what was happening. My parents told me, Malcolm, just not going to grow anymore. I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if all this was happening to me because I was magic and not because I was sick? I know, I'm serious. I was sitting here, I was almost getting a little misty because it's so sweet. And the actor, Phil Fondacaro, does such a good job. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's so endearing. 
uh, and you so feel for him. And he's telling this story about how he used to imagine that he would someday wake up in a land with fairies and dragons and flying horses and unicorns. And he said he just kept waiting for that day to happen. And he just kept waiting and waiting. Um, meanwhile, she's just kind of been kind of circling around him a little bit. She gets back behind his chair and she transforms into the troll again. And you see the, the little thing come out of her ring. We don't really get to see his transformation. No. Um, we don't and I, see his reaction anyway. Right. And I think yeah. that's probably kind of intentional because... Yeah. It's kind of a sweet moment, and when his pod opens up, it's just a little elfin version of himself. Um, very small, cute. And kind of like looking around in wonder. Yeah, yeah. And she, she picks him up. I mean, he's he's little tiny. It's a puppet. But she he, The troll picks him up and just says, welcome, brother elf. Now, that's one of the things that I like so much about this movie is that it's not straightforward. There's not... No. You know, Torok's the bad guy. But But, really what he's trying to do is he's just trying to build this world for himself. And the people who are good-hearted and good-natured aren't turned into something ugly. You know, it's it's nice. (laughs) You know, it is, again, and it's something you don't see in a lot of American horror films or or American films for kids is that there's this assumption that it has to follow the Disney model where there's an absolute bad evil person who is going to be defeated at the end. Mm -hmm. And it's a good versus evil battle. This is a lot more reminiscent of a, a lot of what you find, for example, in Japanese kids' films. I don't know how familiar you are with some of them, but uh, there's a movie called Spirited Away that was very popular. Mm -hmm. It had some popularity here, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what's nice about those films, and I'll just pull out Spirited Away as an example, is that they're really up against circumstances. They're not up against bad people. The people who you are watching this film from an American mindset, oh, she's really bad. As you see the film, you realize that, no, she's not bad. She's just a different character, and she Mm -hmm. has different motivations, and there's not this black and white good versus evil thing going on. And so your main character is really overcoming a situation. Yeah, Uh, There's a problem that needs to be solved, and different people have different personalities coming into it. And I feel like those are the kind of movies that kids need to see. I agree. Because it's way more reflective of the world as it is. And it could cut out a lot of the nonsense, you know, that we deal with uh, where people want to demonize each other. And this film does a great job, as you mentioned, of that. It doesn't totally demonize this troll. Right. Uh, You see it from their perspective. And the story is a little more complex. Yeah. And and the character is a little bit more complex. And I, I really appreciate that. You know, we're we're leading up now to the final act of the film. Everybody except Eunice and the Potters have been transformed. She, Eunice, has explained to Harry what's going on. And she says, you have to... Well, she explains that what he's trying to do is to build these little different fairy universes in each of these apartments. And then once they're all done, once it's complete, they will come together as like this huge fairy universe. And that will then explode like a fourth dimension into our world and the fairies will again take over the world so that's what they well that's what he's trying to do and they have only this remaining day you know they're at the end of this 72 hour period to stop it she gives him this big golden spear and says here plunge this weapon deep into the heart of torox universe where can i find that 
Well, Torok has always been a little melodramatic, so just look for the biggest, most powerful creature you can find. <laughs> <laughs> so she said, just look for something big and scary That's and right. not happy to see you, and you'll know it when you see it. Um, so he goes downstairs and he's waiting. Meanwhile, as soon as he leaves, God, I've said this now four or five times, another one of my favorite parts of the movie. <laughs> How many favorite parts do you have? They're all my favorite parts. <clears throat> She uh, she walks in front of, she has shown him before that one of the paintings on her wall is of her younger self with Torok in his human form or, or human-like form. I yeah. think they were fairies, but they looked like humans. And in the photograph, obviously, she's younger. She's an elderly woman, um, but in the photograph, she's younger. She turns around and faces this, this painting. painting, and then she starts pulling the pins out of her hair. She's had her, her hair's gray. She's had it up in kind of this loose updo throughout, very matronly. And down fall these beautiful golden cascading locks. And she turns around, and all of a sudden she's, again, the youthful woman from the painting. Yes. When I was a kid, I was blown away by that scene because I thought, how did they do that? How did they make her look so young? It's amazing. <laughs> And you might have put two and two together now that that may be June Lockhart's daughter. I Well, they have the same last name. I mm-hmm. mean, that would be a major coincidence. It's Anne Lockhart is yeah. the actress that plays her younger self. And they do look strikingly similar. Yep, yep. Um, so I wouldn't be a bit surprised if it was. Uh, and from that point on, Anne Lockhart takes over the role. But it's a really smooth transition. I it mean, the, it, it feels that, like the same character. It's it, surprising. Uh, there must be a cut in there, but I didn't really detect it. I guess maybe because I wasn't expecting it. Yeah, it comes right at you. and like, whoa. Yeah, it, it, it's it's pretty effective. Yeah. So she arms herself with one of those spears, too, and she goes out looking for Torok. And again, she's just this no... She's no nonsense. It's hilarious. She's, you know, he's in the, this forest, which by now is expansive. I mean, it's it's large. There's wind blowing. The, the trees are blowing in the wind. And she's walking through, and her long hair is flying in her face, and she's trying to bat it away, and eventually she just stops where she is and says, Oh, stop it! <laughs> And the wind quits. And the wind quits. <laughs> and she says, well, that's better. It's moments like that, that that happen frequently through this movie. These moments of comedy where you know you're not going to be taking this too seriously. You know, it's, it's aimed towards children in a way. Yeah. That at any point where it seems like it's going to get too scary... It's interspersed with these moments of comedy uh-huh. that take the tone down a bit. Yeah, it's 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 funny. I mean, it's it's not an outright comedy, but there are moments of light, you know, light natured stuff. Um, there's one scene that we skipped where the dad just does oh this big gosh. dance. <laughs> The goofiest, weirdest dance sequence. It is. If anybody was going to be embarrassed to go on Leno and have a clip replayed back for them, that guy's clip. Exactly. (laughs) You know, I had read that uh, the guy that plays the dad, on one of the first days of filming, he went to the director and said, I don't understand my character. I, I I don't get it. And the director just grabbed this goofy, floppy hat that the dad ends up wearing through a large part of the movie off like a a production assistant or something and plops it on his head. And um, the actor said, well, I look ridiculous. And the director just looked at him. He said, so he's just ridiculous? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And that's he kind of plays that. And it's funny. It's fun. Well, it's honestly the only way that this guy could be uh, so oblivious to what's going on. Right. uh, So she goes out and uh, gets approached by this monster. We don't actually see the monster Mm -hmm. yet. It's a POV shot, but we can see there's a big monster coming. Rips that staff away, her magic staff, and then cut away. 
Mm-hmm. Now, she had given another magic staff to uh, Harry. Harry. And Harry, meanwhile, I think, was setting up shop downstairs waiting. And at some point, the parents get up and go to the door because there's some banging on the door. Well, Harry leaves first. He I does mean, leave. I, That's I, I right. don't know if he hears something outside or what. At this point... The vegetation and all that stuff is now spilling out into the hallways. That's right. Um, is it this point, too, where it's coming outside as well? I, I believe so. And the yeah. people across the street are seeing this craziness going on. There's a bit of a crowd around the apartment apartment. Right. Complex. And these huge vines are, like, coming out of the roof. And it doesn't look real at all. I no. mean, it's stop-motion stuff. But, you know, it's, it's reminiscent of the old monster movies, Godzilla, mm-hmm. those types of things. Harry goes out looking... And he he knocks on Eunice's door, and it swings open, and, like, I guess the wind suction pulls him in, and he falls to the ground. And he falls next to this little... Stump. Stump. Like a little tree stump. (laughs) And it starts talking to him, and it's Eunice. And she says, you're on your own, kid. (laughs) That is so funny. That was the most brilliant comedy in this movie. Uh, Some of it's goofy, some of it's a little corny, but that was spot-on hilarious. Right. And, uh, you know, he's upset, but she's go out there and find your sister. Um, so he goes and he's looking around and it doesn't take him long. He finds her. Yep. She's in uh, like a kind of like a Snow White glass coffin kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, in the middle of the woods. It's very, very fairy tale esque Right. The, as the whole movie is. Mm-hmm. And um, he goes, the top of it is kind of glowing in, you know, kind of a cheap special effects kind of way, which we've seen these effects throughout. But he goes to touch it and it shocks him. But then he's got that magic spear, so he thinks he touches that to the top and that breaks the spell, apparently. Meanwhile, we know, he doesn't know, but Torok is watching all this kind of from a safe distance. And um, he... he he tries to wake Wendy up, but she doesn't wake immediately, so he picks her up, and that's when the big monster appears. And this is kind of funny, and, you know, watching it as an adult, I can look at it with a critical eye. <laughs> I appreciate what they were trying to do. They wanted this to be the big monster. And so they're shooting it from a super low angle. That's right. A super low angle so that it looks like it's towering over the camera. And they try to maintain that, but... As it gets closer to the children, it becomes really apparent that it's just a normal-sized guy in a suit. Yeah, they're clearly cutting away from it pretty quickly so that you don't see that. And trying to get some close-ups on their face and some really high POV shots from the monster on the kids. Right, right. But it's it's unfortunately pretty clear. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's pretty clear if if you've got any kind of discerning eye at all. (laughs) Meanwhile, the parents are downstairs. They hear something weird outside. They... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> More great comedy. The mom <laughs> opens the door, and here's a bunch of these evil little fairy trolls just kind of hanging out <laughs> right, right outside the door, just, just looking waiting. at her. <laughs> yeah, and so she closes the door and uh, <laughs> gets her husband over. Yeah, because uh, honey, um, and he comes over and uh, opens the door, and then the the tree stump Eunice is right outside their door, <laughs> and she said, "Shut that damn door." He can't take over if you keep him out of your home. What is going on out there? I don't know, but I'm listening to that tree. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh, so funny. Uh, Harry and Wendy are now in the forest. They're running from this monster. Torok is watching, and the monster is kind of, like, attacking both of the kids. With, like, throwing... 
throwing boulders, boulders and at stuff. Him. Yep. Um, and Torox starts saying, no, no. Because uh, he doesn't want the girl to be hung. He doesn't want the girl. We didn't explain this. Eunice explained, you know, Harry had asked her, you know, where's where's Wendy? Is she okay? And he said, yeah, I don't know where she is, but she's alive. Because when he takes over the world and, and gets rid of all the rest of the humans, he's going to keep one perfect specimen who's going to be the the princess of the fairies yeah so um torak is saying no no not the girl but the monster is still approaching the girl it looks like it's going to uh harm her kill her whatever and so torak himself again in one of these moments where he's not entirely villainous mm-hmm. he himself throws the spear and kills the monster, saves the girl, and... Shuts down his whole plan. Shuts down his whole plan. Basically. Yeah, the, I mean, everything starts shaking. There's, like, these magic electrical bolts, like, flying through the air. Harry and Wendy run out and, and get out and run downstairs and get home. The The whole building is shaking. Again, you said those people outside are seeing all these vines um, writhing around in the top of the building. When Harry and Wendy get back in the apartment, they slam the door and everything stops. And they look outside. Everything seems normal. <laughs> and they move. <laughs> and they move. <laughs> Which, gosh, you know, don't you wish people in these types of movies were that smart all the time? That's right. Um, we're getting out of here. And the police are like, you can follow, file that report down the road. Yeah, and that's and, okay. <laughs> and, and then you get your final little little clincher ending where the cops are probing through the house. What What do you think that could be? I don't know. Let's go check things out. And one of them goes down back into the laundry room, opens up a door, and it's into the forest. He gets sucked out, and the door slams. And Right, and Torok's in there, and you just see him hold up his ring. His ring right in his face, yeah. And that's it. And that's the end of the movie. Uh, so what do you think? You know, it was set up for a sequel. It's interesting that they didn't do a proper sequel to this movie, right? right? Yeah, there was a movie called Troll 2. has nothing to do with nothing this film. Nothing to do. No, they were just trying to cash in, which I don't... This movie, I can't imagine it was that popular. It did make back what it what it earned, uh, probably almost double anyway. It made like a million or one and a half. I think it cost anywhere from 700000 to a million bucks. And I guess it was popular enough for somebody to try to ride on its coattails with yeah. Troll 2. But yeah, it's, again, one of those films that's going to have a fairly limited audience. Right. It's not going to be the Goonies of its day because it's honestly too low budget and... Although it's cute and it had a lot of great acting and some famous actors and things in it, it just it just is missing that level of professionalism, I guess. Right. The story is very simple mm-hmm. and it moves very slowly. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, don't, I guess there's probably not a lot of places you can go with it after that. Right. We didn't even mention that the kid uh, who played... Uh, Harry. Harry was from uh, The NeverEnding Story. Right. I, Noah Hathaway. And I he guess, played Atreyu. I guess, yes. And I guess the director was impressed with him in that film mm-hmm. and uh, decided to cast him in this one. So, I mean, it's not for lack of, I guess, star power. Or, right. It's just kind of a weird niche movie. Yeah. You know, it's... it's I was reading, you know, user comments, and that was one of the things that uh, I, I read. You know, people were questioning, who was this made for? You know, it it doesn't seem to be specifically for adults or specifically for kids. And I think it's just because it's it's from a bygone era in, yeah. in filmmaking. I just don't think we see these types of movies very much at all anymore. Clown House, um, I think, was the one that right. we said was also in this vein. And I would argue that that's scarier. It's definitely scarier. Mm-hmm. This is more fantasy, really. Yeah, uh, it's, it's like a fairy tale, mm-hmm. which I think is really appealing and really endearing and it has backstory it's really quite nice and if this had been made by spielberg and had a bigger budget i think it probably would have spawned a sequel it probably would have right been better remembered and wouldn't have been relegated to the horror shelves 
And that might be part of the problem with it, too, is that it seems like all the materials, all of the posters, which are, you know, on the on the box cover mm. and everything, were really marketing this as a horror. horror film. And that may have been a mistake. Yeah, maybe. But The Gate was marketed the same way. Right. I mean, it's just as spooky, and it's just as sort of lost to time as this film is. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of similar in tone to something like Legend, which, mm-hmm. you know, is, is very fantastical, but has its definite scary moments. Um, even something like Labyrinth, it's darker. You know, the, the puppets and things are a little bit scarier. They're not as cute. Yeah. Um, but, but similar in tone, and we just, you know, you don't see that too much anymore, which is too bad. There have been talks for years and years about remaking this movie. Hmm. At, at one point, it was in pre-production. Allie Lohan, of all people, was connected to it. Really? It was supposed to be a vehicle for her. Wow. Um, I, I think that it's kind of dead in the water right now, but I'd be interested in seeing a remake. I think this is a movie ripe for remake. I don't have the nostalgic feelings about mm-hmm. it that you do. I can see, though, I can. I, I have enough imagination. I can put myself back as a kid in the 80s, and if this had been in our rotation when we were young enough, this would have been a family favorite. Absolutely yeah. would have been. Yeah, and, and like I said, I would watch it back-to-back with The Goonies, and uh, they, they're they kind of similar in tone, even those two movies. I, the Goonies was just on the TV on TV the other day, and I was watching it, and it's got a really intricate score. And I thought, gosh, this score is almost similar to uh, Troll. It, it, mm-hmm. No wonder I was so comfortable watching them back to back. And I, recom- I recommend it. If you're, if you're having a, a marathon night, go for both of them. They're both, they're both fun. So now, as an adult, it, you know, I know you don't want to be critical about the film because it's going to kill your... It's going to ruin all your memories and your fantasies, but... You mentioned a few things that, oh, that's a little cheesy, that's a little yeah. hokey. Do, do you still like it as much? I do. I mean, yeah. it's 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 nostalgia. I mean, that's that's what it is. But I, I, I just think it's a good movie. It entertains me. It's simple. It's not, you know, it's not going to leave you trying to work out problems in your mind or anything. That's true. Um, it's it's kind of like, you know, it's like, and I think part of the reason I liked it so much as a kid is because it is imaginative. Um, it's creative and fantasy and... Uh, it's not based in reality, and it's not too scary. I mean, I've got uh, a little niece and nephew, and, and they're, I think, seven and four. That's too young. I, I think, you know, there's there's stuff in here that's spooky enough that little kids might struggle with it. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 I get it. I, I can recognize its flaws, and I, I just don't care. In fact, if anything, <laughs> that adds to the charm. Well, um before we uh, sign out, I just wanted to say something really quick. This was uh, a rough week for me. My best friend, uh, my dog, Jack, passed away this week. And uh, I've I had him since he was a puppy, and uh, he, he became an old man. Um, I, I kind of feel like he was my first grown-up thing that I did. You know, I, I got a job, and I thought, I'm responsible now. I can take care of this. Um, <laughs> and he's been with us for a really long time, and, and this last year has been rough for him. We knew we probably didn't have a lot uh, of time left earlier this week, uh, one morning. I think that he had kind of waited for us to wake up, and uh, he just uh, went very peacefully in our arms. It was it was really really tough for me. I mean, it still is. I, I'm not I'm not done grieving that yet. But I, I was glad that we decided to do this movie. It's fun. It's it's uh, not something that's gonna you know. It, it's a, a good memory for me. It makes me feel good. Uh, so I want to dedicate this episode to uh, my dog Jack. Um, wherever he is, uh, I hope that he's happy and having a good time. But uh, I sure do miss him. So uh, this one's for you, Jack. Oh, he's probably out there chasing those trolls through the forest. I right hope so. There. I hope so. <laughs> 
Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. Check out our Facebook page. Leave us a comment. Leave us some suggestions for other films to do. Until next week, this is Todd. And this is Craig. With Two Guys in a Chainsaw. Bye.